Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hi, everyone. Catherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I am so excited because Ari Tuckman is with us today. He is one of the pillars in the ADHD community in this month of March Madness, spelled M-A-D-H-D-ness. Very excited that you're here. Ari Tuckman, PsyD, which I assume is doctorate psychology? Yeah. Okay. CST is a psychologist, author, and speaker specializing in ADHD. His More Attention, Less Deficit podcast has more than 100 episodes and almost 3 million downloads. He is a psychologist and sex therapist in private practice in Westchester, Pennsylvania, a former board member of CHAD National and co-chair of the CHAD Conference Committee. So very excited you're here. I hope we can start with how you fell into the world of ADHD since you don't have ADHD. Right. It's a little bit of a funny thing because I didn't really plan it. And I don't know that I ever heard the words adult and ADHD in the same sentence in five years of grad school, but um, which was, you know, like mid 90s. So I came out of school, I got my license, I joined a group practice, and I was just trying to like find my place in the world. Like, what am I doing? Who do I specialize in? You know, what, what's my place here? And I just sort of stumbled into adult ADHD as this kind of like underserved population. Um, You know, like, okay, fine, we're, you know, child ADHD was sort of a thing. People kind of knew about it. People, you know, teachers were looking for it, sort of. Clinicians were treating it. But adults are this big kind of ignored group. And, you know, the joke that I had was, you know, back in those days, if you knew three things about adult ADHD, you were the expert in town. Now you need to know, I don't know, six, right? Five, seven, I don't know, right? So it's better, right? but it was pretty terrible. So like, it doesn't take much to be better than it used to be. So like the good news is adult ADHD is much better recognized than it used to be, but we still have a long way to go. And there's still lots and lots and lots of adults with ADHD who clearly have ADHD who have never been diagnosed. And I certainly see that in my coaching practice. I have people who come with me, come to me, and they may or may not be diagnosed. So what I'd love for you to do, Ari, is put a time frame on this because Mm -hmm. I'm 56. 
And I wasn't diagnosed till last year at age of 55. I suspected yep. for about five years because I had chemo brain and I went straight off the rails mm. when I was going through cancer at age 50. But when I was a child, you know, I had that report card that said all yeah. those things that we would know now, loses notebooks, doesn't turn assignments sure. in on time. If she could only get out of her own way, like the ones that, you know, you read back and heartbreakingly like cry. And then yeah. I got over it because I was like, well, you know, I turned out to be an okay human being. So in spite of all that crap, you know, <laughs> but hardly any felonies, right? You're fine. I don't think any, actually. I'm pretty sure there are no felonies. There are no unwanted children (laughs) out there in the world somewhere. Only the one that I truly wanted who also has ADHD. And I jokingly call my sloth on the sofa. So she's inattentive, but very clearly and obviously combined type. Mm -hmm. So when were you stepping into this field? Just so people have a sense of the timing of ADHD. Yeah. So, you know, so I was stepping in, I graduated in 97. I did a, a year postdoc to get my license. And then I joined the group practice in like 98, 99. And, you know, so at that time, ADHD adults was really just beginning to become a thing that people talked about. And it used to be that ADHD was, con- or ADD as it was called back in the day, used to be considered a disorder of childhood that somehow, you know, upon granting of a high school diploma, it disappeared or something. You know, it's like, congratulations, (laughs) you can buy cigarettes, you can vote, and you don't have ADHD anymore. But, you know, so that that's sort of about when that was. But, you know, for you, there's no possibility, there's almost no possibility that you would have been diagnosed as having ADHD as a kid, despite it being really freaking obvious, right? So just in terms of like that point in time that you were a kid, also the fact that you were a girl. You know, boys were much, were and still are much more likely to be diagnosed. So, yeah, like, you know, it just, it wasn't going to happen, which then does lead to this sort of looking back and just feeling like, I don't know, anger, resentment, frustration that, like, why did I have to suffer as much as I did? This was preventable. Why did nobody prevent it? And, you know, for someone of your age, it was, I don't know, like, I don't know when you might've been diagnosed kind of realistically in terms of when did we really start thinking about it, maybe in your thirties or something, you know, in terms of what point in time ADHD was kind of bubbling up, but I don't know. I just evaluated someone yesterday, a woman in her early forties, again, painfully obvious, like really obvious that she had, if you know anything of what to look for, but like, why am I the first guy making the diagnosis, right? Mm. Like, how is it? And it was her couples therapist or new couples therapist who really sort of put it on her radar. Mm. So, you know, there's just all these missed diagnoses or you get diagnosed with anxiety or depression or something, which is definitely there, which is there. Right. Yeah. But why is it there? Oh, are you anxious and depressed because you're chronically overwhelmed and you're not getting stuff done and you're feeling bad about yourself and you're working too hard and you're exhausted? Might that be why you're anxious and depressed? Oh, why is that that you feel all those things, right? Like, let's kind of back up, back up, back up and see what the cause is. And, you know, treating the end result tends to be much less effective. So I, you know, had that experience. I was diagnosed with anxiety depression caused by anxiety and anxiety is a separate diagnosis. And I look back and wonder if 
someone had picked up on it sooner, how would my life have been different? But I don't really get upset about it because I kind of look at it and say, well, you know, I always knew I was different, but I always just looked at it as, as me managing me. So I didn't even really think about it. It wasn't on my radar. It, I didn't feel, I don't know, really remember if I felt defective or broken. I probably did, but I did so many things in my life to kind of make life manageable for me that I never really thought about it. And if we talk about, you know, my mom, my mom says now at her age and this time around in the podcast, I'm going to remember not to say her age, but you know, if I'm 56, <laughs> do the math. And right. you now she says, I think I probably had ADHD. Well, if I grew up in a household where other people had ADHD, it wouldn't have sure. been obvious to me. And, you know, she yeah. had lost lots of systems. She had really figured out how to control and manage her life. So I don't, you know, I did have that very upsetting moment when I went back through the report cards and just thought, woe is me. Yeah. And then I kind of worked through it and I thought, wait a minute, here's what I can do as a parent. I have a daughter with ADHD. I can give her this most precious gift growing up, knowing how to manage it. She's got yeah. an executive function coach who is also her tutor and also her college person who's helping her along the way. And that person stepped into our lives when she was in ninth grade. She's now a junior. She went from really struggling in school to a national honor society student. What a gift. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Ari, I got to that moment. And, you know, as someone who's in the world of psychology, you'll really get this. And I spent like 20 years on the couch. So I feel like I have a semi-assisted yeah. psychology degree. I thought for sure when she got it that I would be so jealous and so upset because that's something I wanted so badly. And instead, all I could do was just sit there and think, this is so cool. This is so amazing. I'm so excited. I'm yeah. more excited than she was. She's like, what's the big deal, mom? I'm like, oh, honey, you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> if only, if only. So um, it's just a great thing to just pass it on to the next generation. Yeah. I had to go through a well, lot of therapy. And that's the thing okay? is, you know, you don't get to that kind of level of human until you've been through a lot of therapy. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, so first of all, you, we do pass it on to the next generation, right? ADHD yeah. is very, very genetic. So right. um, I don't know the order of events. Did you get diagnosed first and then your daughter or probably the I other way? I got diagnosed first. Yeah. So, so you're, you're the exception. It's usually So it's kind of way. weird. We did this. She went into, it was either fifth or sixth grade when the wheels started to come off, you know, like algebra is when things started. Mm -hmm. I remember it because I remember it as a kid too, that whole processes kind of thing. And so we knew she had executive function issues and was in learning skills at her school and all this kind of stuff. And this was concurrent with me having cancer. So as I had the chemo brain, I'm watching her thinking, God, some of these struggles look really familiar. So it's yeah. kind of walking through life, Ari, for four years saying I have executive function challenges. Of course, because I'm different and I want to be different, I'm not going to be ADHD. <laughs> so full of baloney sometimes, I swear to God. Yeah. So in the spring, as I'm getting out there as an ADHD coach and really coaching people, I'm realizing I keep saying, well, I have undiagnosed ADHD. And I thought, that's so disingenuous. Just go test the dang test. So I got tested and, you know, came out combined type. And then I said to my daughter, get tested. And she said, well, now that you've done it, I feel more comfortable getting tested. And we got her tested more because she's going to head off to college soon. And I wanted her to have the 504 and the academic stuff in place and have the ability for her to be able to say, I need extra time on the SAT. 
Yeah. So she already had one for anxiety and we just updated it and included extra things in it. We just had that conversation like last week to uh, get it updated, but she was diagnosed over the summer. We found out about her first, but I got diagnosed officially first. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are the exception, right? It usually it goes the other way. And I kind of call it the two for one diagnosis, right? Right. Kid gets diagnosed because teachers and pediatricians, you know, are pretty good. Like they're, they're, we're at least ADHD is more on their radar. So they're more likely to see it and to say something, you know, kid gets diagnosed and then mom or dad is sitting there saying, Oh man, that sounds familiar. So if you have a genetic relative with ADHD, you need to pause for a moment and reflect upon yourself and consider the family tree and say like, huh, might there be other people here? Because the answer is probably, yeah, probably, yeah, there is. That certainly could be the case. So one yeah. of the things you, which is one of your superpowers, which is not mine, is medication. And I'd love to kind of dig into this because... Mm-hmm. I have chosen just by my personal choice not to take medication. I'm not against it mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Many of my clients take medication. I'd certainly be open to taking it. I just, as I said before we started, I'm a little on the lazy side and don't really want to have to deal with adding that element into my life right now of, you know, when we do medication, yeah. we don't just jump in and just suddenly start taking a pill. We have to like, look, and I know this because I took medication for anxiety. You have to look at what Mm -hmm. dose you need and how it's all going to work. So I'd love for you to sort of do the medication one-on-one for ADHD. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a psychologist. I don't write prescriptions. So I'm not necessarily the biggest guy in meds as a general statement, but I will say when it comes to ADHD, I am a pretty big proponent of medication. Not everybody needs it. I definitely have some clients and friends who don't take medication and they're fine. But for those who need it, for those folks who are just sort of struggling more than they want to, a little bit of the right medication can really make a difference. And I sort of, you know, I think of it as ADHD is sort of a a disorder of actualizing good intentions. You know, so stuff like, oh, I should really start that thing before the last minute. Oh, my spouse asked me to do something. I should probably remember it. Here I am in a business meeting. I should probably pay attention to what's being said, because, you know, my boss is going to ask me to do some things about it, right? So like the knowing what to do is the easy part. It's the doing that's the hard part. So medication then kind of closes that gap between intentions and actions, Mm. you know? So it's just easier to be more consistent, more predictable, more reliable in the things that you do. It's not magic, but you know, with a bit of the right intentions, with a bit of the right strategies and a bit of the right medication, things just come together in a much more, I don't know, satisfying kind of a way. So, so in terms of that, then, you know, the medications that we have now, the good, there's a lot that's actually pretty good news about them. So the meds that we use now for ADHD have all been around forever. Like they're all almost as old as you are or older, right? So, right. you know, or I, I'm, I'm only a couple, a few years behind you. So like, you know, so Ritalin's been around since, I don't know, like the thirties or the fifties or something. Adderall's been around since the eighties. Vivant is an extended release version of Dexedrine. And that's been around since like, you know, that's older than we are. So like, 
these are not new substances, which is great because it means that none of them are getting pulled by the FDA because suddenly now we discover next year that like, you know, it makes you grow extra toes or something. So because they've been around forever and they've had like just countless numbers of prescriptions that have been filled, hundreds of research studies, very much known quantities. But in general, they really tend to work quite well. Like the extent to which they do the things that they're supposed to do, they're the most effective medications in all of psychiatry. So the medications for ADHD are more effective at managing the symptoms of ADHD than the antidepressants are at managing depression, than the bipolar meds are at managing bipolar disorder. Like they just do a good job. And the risks and the side effects tend to be pretty manageable and often not that hard to figure out. I mean, it's not always like, you know, one and done, but, you know, they're not super complicated. You can often, for most people, they can kind of get something that works well enough. They are not addictive, like all this stuff about addiction and stuff. Like it is untreated ADHD. That's the biggest risk factor for substance abuse right. for kids, teenagers, and adults. So Treating someone's ADHD with a stimulant reduces their risk of substance abuse. And my sort of smart ass line about stimulants being addictive is if these medications are really so addictive, why do so many of my clients forget to take them? Right. Right. No heroin addict got to mid afternoon <laughs> and said, oh, oh, wait a second. I don't think I took my heroin. Right. Like doesn't happen. Right. But I've got clients all the time who forget to take their pills. They don't call the doctor for a refill. They don't get to CVS to pick it up. Like they're not addicted at all. Like if anything, the problem with ADHD meds is lack of taking them, not taking too much of them. So, but what's nice about them is that, you know, unlike the antidepressants, which are used for depression and anxiety, that you take it every day and over the course of two to four to six to eight weeks, it sort of builds up in your system. And then you begin, you know, to get the benefit. And then you try to remember how depressed you were six weeks ago and to see if today is better than that. These work a bit more, I kind of say they work a bit more like aspirin in the sense that. You take the pill, it kicks in within an hour, it lasts whatever number of hours based on long acting, short acting, what the dose, how quick you metabolize, and then it's gone. Right. So like, it's pretty quick feedback on what it's doing, both in terms of, yay, the good things, but also like, oh, that's kind of weird. Is that a side effect? Right. You know, so you know pretty quickly. So it's not super complicated to dial it in the way that sometimes the antidepressants can be. Right. It's interesting. It's so much of what you said is interesting. The part that just sticks out to me is this whole idea of forgetting to take your meds because I am yeah. horrific at this. So I've had to learn how um, I actually right now I have vitamins. You can't see if you're listening on the podcast, but if you're on the yeah. video, you can see my little vitamins are in a little jar on my desk so that I remember to take them because I won't. And I sort of need to take yeah. them throughout the day. I'm just finishing up having a sinus infection. I'm taking amoxicillin. And what I do with the amoxicillin bottle to remember if I've taken it or not is either it's flipped down yeah. or it's up because there's no way I can remember yeah. if I took it. And you're really not supposed to take the same antibiotic. You know, you need to spread the timing out a little bit on it. So CVS would tell you I'm notorious for running in there, but please, can't you get me my medication? I, I ran out <laughs> of it yesterday. And they looked at me yeah. like, 
oh God, she's here again. Right. Luckily, my husband, God bless him, who doesn't have ADHD, put us on one of these prescription plans where just everything auto renews. And so TV just auto renews it. Sometimes we get it delivered, which I really like the delivery piece. So there are things we can do. There are things we can put in place. You know, as I say, I like to call it mismanaging me. How did Mm -hmm. I manage myself? How did I put little routines and systems in place to remember to take medication if I decide at some point to take ADHD? And like I said, I'm not for or against. I've sort of figure at 56, I've managed my life and I've managed me. So we'll see. You know, Ari, in a year, we could be talking at the Chad conference and I'll say, you wouldn't believe I'm taking X. And you'll be like, oh, finally, you're on board. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who knows? But a big thing for me in creating my life and and what we call in um, ADHD coaching with uh, Denzel Brown was this idea of the life that fits Mm. was putting these habits and routines and systems in place. And I kind of look at like three big things that really help me with ADHD, those routines and habits, exercise and sleep. And I know you especially wanted to talk about sleep. So why don't we start with that one? Yeah. So, I mean, sleep is a big one for all of us, you know, for everybody, everybody does better with a good night of sleep. Now, it's not going to make you better than who you are. It's not going to make you smarter or taller if you get more sleep. But getting less sleep will make you less smart. So, Frankie. <laughs> yeah, I can Husband. definitely attest to that. I am abs- as someone who is very sensitive to not getting enough sleep, I will definitely attest to that. So, but you know, it's this kind of unfortunate irony is that if you're not managing your ADHD well, one of the ways that that's showing up is you're probably not getting enough sleep. And if you're not getting enough sleep, then you're even worse tomorrow. And it's not just the one night, but if you're kind of chronically problematic in your sleep, right, where your sleep is too variable, like you're getting into bed too late and then, you know, you're taking big naps and that screws up your sleep that night or you're sleeping in on the weekends and basically jet lagging yourself for, for Monday morning. And, you know, it's just sort of like a lot of folks with ADHD have really kind of variable, problematic sleep schedules, which make it harder than to actually get a good night of sleep when you do get into bed. So absolutely getting enough sleep is just one of those foundations. Like you're not bringing your A game if you're not managing your sleep well, but it's also not as easy as just saying, get more sleep, right? Because if it was as easy as that, we all just would. And, you know, the the ADHD sort of impact on sleep is that, you know, folks with ADHD tend to be night owls a bit more. That seems to be true. I'm actually you not. Know, so, I'm weird. I'm okay. a total morning person. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, ADHD is not all of who one is, right? There's all the rest of who you are. So there are always exceptions, but I think you know, that got often, trained because I worked in wall street. So I had to be up yeah. super early for wall street uh, and my body just has never changed. So I just, yeah. Fine, but that works. Like in some ways, it's actually better to be a morning person because for many of us, that is kind of where life is. So, like, you have a daughter in high school. I don't know when she has to be up, but it's not nine o'clock, right? (laughs) You know, (laughs) yeah, if only or noon, right? But like, so being a morning person does make your life easier often, unless you're like 20. But 
you know, the challenge, of course, is to actually get into bed on time. And for folks with ADHD, sometimes there's a procrastination that pushes things later into the evening. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's sort of a thing of like, I've, I don't know, just spent it all getting through the demands of the day. Now it's a bit of me time sort of a thing. So they stay up too late or they get caught up in things. It's that old like, oh, I'm just gonna watch one more episode, by which I mean nine, you know, in losing track of time. And then like, lo and behold, it's later than they intended. So, you know, for a lot of ways, folks with ADHD wind up being like getting into bed too late. But, you know, it's also sometimes one of these things where it's this thing like where they get into bed and they don't feel like they can fall asleep or they can't turn their mind off. Right. And, you know, sometimes that is the result of if your sleep schedule is too variable, if you're taking big naps earlier in the day or, you know, the later part of the day, if you're, you know, slugging down a bunch of caffeine, you know, like genuinely it is hard to fall asleep because of these other kind of lifestyle factors. So then it justifies, well, why get into bed on time anyway? Don't fall asleep, right? So it just sort of becomes part of this bad habit pattern. So it's not like a one-time fix so much as it's just sort of a thing to like aspire to or something. Right. And it does require that habit thing. We've seen it. My husband's a night owl. Mm-hmm. And so he's, we've had to kind of work around each other, you know, 19 years later, if we're still married. So we seem to be making yeah. it work. But I, I wake up naturally at five thirty six o'clock in the morning and he wakes up more like seven. So he mm. wants to go to sleep at 11, 11, 30, 12. And sure. I want to go to sleep at 10, 10, 30. So we've had to really manage the, the TV watching time in the evening. You know, I can't have any small screens right before I go to bed. The big screen TV is okay because by the time I do sort of my wind down routine and read some book and whatever, mm-hmm. it's been a good half hour since I was watching television. But mm-hmm. I kind of have to be done with the TV at 10 p.m. If I want to be asleep by 11.30, quarter, 11.30, 10.30, quarter of yeah. 11. Whereas he would really much rather go to sleep at 11. So he actually gets a good hour more sleep than I do. I steal that mom time. And I talk about this a lot with my clients. A lot of them stay up after their kids have finally gone to yeah, bed. Yeah. Finally have that precious alone time. I actually take my alone time first thing in the morning before anyone yeah. else is up. So I'm up usually reading a book. And I'll, um, I, I do get my Kindle out for this. I keep it in the bathroom so it's not in the bedroom. And mm-hmm. I go into the bathroom, get my Kindle, bring it back to the bed. And I read for a good half hour uh, I might do my LinkedIn stuff first thing in the morning. That's uh-huh. my routine. So I'm starting my day off with me. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Well, and it's also, it's sort of like knowing that you're going to have that time in the morning is then a bit of a, an incentive or even reward right. for getting into bed on time last night, you know? Exactly. So in terms of this, like to the extent possible, I always try to not fight the tide. Right. So if you tend to be a morning person, let's try to do the best we can with that. If your husband's a night owl, let's try to do the best we can with that. Now, unfortunately, life doesn't always cooperate. So if your daughter writes like, sorry, honey, the bus comes when it comes, right? Like that just is, can't change it. Right. But to the extent that you can, let's try not to fight the tide. Right. And when you have a rare day off, like she did today, I remember my husband rolled out at about seven o'clock in the morning and I said, don't wake her. She's sleeping. Let her, let her yeah. get that. And she was, I came in and I think eight and she said, 
my alarm went off at six and I was like, oh, oh. oh. she said, luckily I turned it off and I went right back to sleep. I said, oh, thank goodness. Cause I, I would yeah. have so bad for her because she's been longing for one morning where she can sleep late. I mean, eight isn't even that late. The other funny thing that happened this morning, and it's completely related, believe it or not, is that I got a late start and I hate having a late start, but you know, I've been sick. So I've been trying to honor needing rest. And I got into the bathroom this morning to get ready. And I looked up and sure enough, I had already laid out all my clothes for the day. And this is a great habit that I tend to do. Sometimes I forget where I put everything out the night before. Mm -hmm. It's very funny, Ari, because each time I do it, I'm still like, yes, go me. I remember to lay out the clothes the night before. So there's sort of two things here. One is have that routine, like set yourself up for morning success. But the second piece is like, even when the small wins, you got to celebrate them because, you know, we're kind of sometimes we ADHDers are bumbling and fumbling through life. And like we have. Uh, what is it that uh, I think it was? Um, I don't remember whether it was Dodson who said we hear 20,000 more negative messages mm-hmm. by the age yeah. of 12 than neurotypical. I hope it was Dodson. If I've, that if sounds I've about right. it, I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes so I say it right because uh, I would hate to misattribute something. So, yeah, but Bill Dodson's super smart. So, like, that that's doable. a good guess that he, if that, <laughs> yeah, I would assume he said that. Right. You know, having these routines and things in place so that we can get around, like, what's the other one? Decision fatigue, decision paralysis. Mm -hmm. If I were standing in front of my closet deciding what I'm going to wear this morning, I would have wasted 10, 15 minutes. And I know people have uniforms and they only wear a t-shirt and jeans or whatever. God bless them. I really like clothes. (laughs) So there's no way I'm having a uniform in my closet. It's not going to happen. So... This is sort of how, again, I'm getting around dealing with me, which is I know how I'm going to be first thing in the morning. So I try to lay the clothes out at night. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's a good habit, right? So like, you know yourself, this is much better than the alternative of picking in the morning because you're more likely to get stuck. And even if you're not 100% in doing it, every one time that you do it is a little bit better than a time that you didn't. Right. Right. So like, so I think this is kind of an important thing as well, especially when it comes to these like every day, every day, every day, you know, for the rest of your life, kind of good habits is do not be a perfectionist about it. Don't be all or nothing. We're like, well, I didn't do it the last three days. So I guess I'm done with that good habit. You know, like, oh, I forgot to brush my teeth last night. I guess I'll never brush my teeth again. Right. Does anybody say no? Like, okay, well, brush your teeth now. Right. Hopefully not. Some (laughs) teenage boys might, but so, you know, like make today a good day. Like whatever happened yesterday, make today a good day. Like now, what is the thing I can do? And, you know, I tend to sort of the way that I think about stuff is what are the things that kind of have a good return on investment? You know, so that's it's that, you know, sleep, diet, and exercise kind of stuff, but also some of these other habits, you know, that if I do that thing, then other things get easier. So let's focus on that, right? That first domino. And that then sort of like magnifies the impact it has in the rest of the day or the rest of the week. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right. And one of my habits is, is, you mentioned, was exercise. And I've moved exercise all over the place in my calendar, trying to find the right fit. And, and we change, right? We evolve. Mm-hmm. Things get different in our schedules. And so I was always an early morning exerciser. And then the pandemic hit and I started exercising at 11 because I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't really have to dress sure. up, at least at the beginning yeah. of the pandemic. And so I found that the 11 a.m. was when I'd start to do the lag on the energy. Mm-hmm. So it would reboost because I'm a morning energy person, knowing your energy is huge. Now, my neighbor likes to walk 3 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we power walk with her dog. And I have accountability, which is huge mm-hmm. when you're trying to create a habit, yeah. have someone to do it with. So, what else kind of rocks your world around ADHD and exercise? So, I think this thing of working, you know, walking with your friend is, is a great example because. I mean, the thing about exercise is in many ways, exercise is more about the future. A lot of good habits, like there's things that your grandma says you should do, right? They're really more about the future, right? You know, it's like, you know, don't smoke now because 40 years from now, you'll be happy you don't have lung cancer or, you know, eat more vegetables because 40 years from now, you won't have a heart attack or something, right? Like a lot of the good habits are things that we pay a bit of a price now, Ooh. right? Because let's face it, chocolate chip cookies and donuts are more delicious than vegetables. They just are, right? And yet it's, you know, the future impact of it. So, and especially with things like exercise that, you know, the benefits, you got to do a lot of workouts to look any different, right? If your goal is to look better, to get stronger or whatever, that's not a like, it's not like you do a bunch of push ups today and now you're ripped, you know? So, yeah, unfortunately. Start it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the key to sticking with it is to make it worth showing up somehow, right? So, like walking with your friend, you enjoy that process. Or, you know, I go to the gym, I like having my music running, I like being out, it's a change of scenery you know, maybe I see some people I know, right? Like that is a part of what makes it as, so I'm not like, I don't feel like going. And, you know, so as much as you can make it enjoyable in the moment, whatever that means. But I think also, I mean, part of, for me, what gets me to show up every time is reminding myself, like, you know what, the rest of my day is going to be better. Like I'm going to feel better. I'm going to have more energy if I'm a bit fuzzy because I just didn't sleep well last night, like that's going to be better. So, you know, it's not this vague thing of like, at some point in the distant future, I will be in better shape or something, right? That's not a convincing argument, but like, I will enjoy the process. And in short order, I will have a much better day. Those are good reasons to show up. And if that's not, if you can't make that case, you're not going to be consistent, right? You're just, I don't know. It takes way too much willpower to make yourself show up otherwise. Well, for me, what it does for me, the instant gratification is focus. Obviously, there's gratification of getting sure. to see my neighbor's dog and getting to hang out with my neighbor yeah. and all those kinds of things. But there are even on the days we can't meet, I still go out and power walk 
I just pop in my, you know, little AirPods. Yeah. And I listen to a favorite podcast and, you know, more attention, less deficit. There's a podcast you could listen to yeah. while you're out walking. And that's Ari's. It makes a huge difference in my focus because I've sort of burned out. So hyperactive piece of ADHD shows up for me and for many others as a very fast brain. My brain is going a million miles per minute. My mouth can't keep up, was always getting me in trouble. So <laughs> probably still does. And the only way I can kind of shut that brain down and get the mm -hmm. noise out for a little bit is to walk, is to get out of my brain and into my body. And, and ideally out in nature is for some reason for me, trees and grass and all this is really, really good for me. So mm -hmm. that's the biggest yeah. reason in the moment that I walk, because I know I'm going to feel yeah. better after I walk. But that is like, that is definitely true, right? That there is research behind that besides all of our, you know, anecdotal experiences that like after working out, our focus is better. Our memory is better. We have better complex problem solving. Our brain just works better afterwards. Right. And I'm finally reading John Rady's Spark, which is all about yeah. this. And the light bulbs are going off for me because I'm like, wow, this is exactly my experience. But now I have science and <laughs> to back it yeah. up, not just my personal anecdotal experience. And it's very true, exciting. right? It also potentially kind of recharges your willpower to a degree in the sense of that ability to make ourselves do the stuff that we don't feel like doing. Right. Or it doesn't take willpower to eat a chocolate chip cookie, you know, like, Ooh, delicious. This was good right now. What it takes willpower is to say, uh, look away from the cookies. Where's the salad, right? That's what takes willpower in all those little decisions that we make, you know, those million decisions through the day, they, every one of them is a little ping on willpower burns up a little bit. So, like spending 10 minutes angsting over what clothes to wear, right? You just burned up a little bit of willpower. Or if you're sitting there working on your computer and then every other second, your phone is kind of beeping at you and you're like, mm, nope, uh, no, don't look at that. Oh, they got a text. Look at, nope, don't click the link. La, 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 don't, don't go, right? Every time we get distracted and have to pull ourselves back, a little bit of willpower gets burned up. Right. So working out or doing something fun or eating a snack or whatever, right? It, it sort of pours a bit of gas back in the tank and it gives us a bit more to kind of get through the day, which kind of circles us back to like that mom time thing, right? It's like if you've been putting out all day, you finally want to like recharge a bit, totally get it. Right. But, you know, like the place to do something isn't withholding the recharging. It's maybe getting a bit more earlier it's being a bit more selective about what you put out. But if you feel like you're just trying to keep the world afloat all day, like you don't have it by the time you get to the evening. Right. I hear you loud and clear. Speaking of willpower, I'm actually watching the time and realizing that we need to start to wrap up, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And I hope you'll come back another time because I knew I'd sure. want to talk to you for six hours. So Ari, what is your sort of favorite productivity pointer or hack or strategy? I think I'm going to come back to sleep, right? That it's sort of a boring recommendation, but it's one of those, like, it just, it sets the foundation right. in that if you're not getting enough sleep, 
you're already in a hole before anything has happened. You're already in a hole. And that's true for everybody. Um, more true for some people than others, right? Some people are more sensitive to lack of sleep than others, or maybe some people are more aware of how they're sensitive and others are not as aware, but they are, you know, but I don't know, like I've had plenty of clients with ADHD who are like, yeah, my meds don't seem to be working as well. And then we start talking and like, oh yeah, I'm not getting as much sleep. I'm like, well, there you go. Um, But even regardless, meds or not, ADHD or not, getting enough sleep really is where a productive, satisfying, kind of meaningful day begins. So, you know, it's hard in, especially in this country to turn it off. Mm. And there's a million more entertaining ways. I mean, when we were kids, like, I don't know, there's nothing on TV after 10, right? And we didn't have that many channels. That little thing would bang and are your children home or whatever it was? Remember that? Right, right, exactly. Right. So that's one of the challenges. There's so many more interesting things to do at night by yourself at home, right? As opposed to when we were younger. So all of it kind of cuts against sleep. And yet biologically, we still need that seven to eight hours. So be honest with yourself about how much sleep that you need and then make it a priority. I agree. That's great. Thank you so much. How can people find you, Ari? So best place is adultadhdbook.com. And I've got information about my books. I've got a bunch of recordings of you know presentations and podcasts. I've got handouts, chapters, like blah, 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 all that good stuff. So adultadhdbook.com is the place. Perfect. Thanks so much. So glad you were here today. No, I'm glad we could do this. Awesome. Thanks. Does any of this sound like you? You're an overwhelmed professional. You just want to control your busy schedule. You're feeling stuck and unfocused. You can't seem to get all the things done on your to-do list. You're always late for meetings, also for those deadlines. You have a brain with 50 tabs open at any given time. And once again, you can't find the damn car keys. But you're ready for massive accountability and to take action on your goals. They've heard me talk on the podcast about my client results. And I want to let you know that for the first time, I'm opening my doors to the Exponentially Productive Group. So far, this group has only been available to my VIP one-on-one coaching clients. But that's about to change. Because I've discovered that a lot of people out there are looking for the kind of results that my clients are, and maybe they're just not ready for one-on-one coaching. So what's included in the Exponentially Productive Group? There are three productivity power hours each week. You heard me talk about those on the podcast. There is accountability through coaching app that I'm using. We have quarterly group planning sessions, a monthly open office hour, and a monthly coaching session with me. This month only, March, in honor of March Madness, this series that you're listening to now, I'm offering this program for only $127 a month. On April 1st, it will increase in price. You can find more details about the Exponentially Productive Group at productivitybydesign.wishpondpages.com backslash Exponentially Productive Group. The link will also be in the show notes. I would love to see you there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. 
I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.